From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence, powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation. It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, May 9th through Friday, May 13th, 2022, a week in which the questions far outweighed the answers and the crises piled up all over the table of conversation. I hope that Friday the 13th was a lucky day for you. We're about to embark upon a powerful hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, we've got righties, and we've got fence-sitters. Please don't get angry. Just listen closely, and while doing so, maintain a degree of educated skepticism, regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey of Talkers with a countdown of the 10 biggest topics of the week. Derek Hunter in Baltimore on Roe v. Wade. Dr. Dahlia Wax in Las Vegas on COVID-19. Claire Carter in New York. She's the queen of prevention. Martha Zoller in Georgia on Donald Trump in the GOP. And Dr. Murray Sabrin in Florida with a libertarian perspective on the Russia-Ukraine war. Influential yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation. In a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Rap, heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10 this week, the Western wildfires and climate change. Fires continue to be a problem in the West. A wildfire fanned by gusty Santa Ana winds erupted in hills on the Southern California coast and burned near homes early Thursday. And the fire burning in New Mexico was reportedly to be almost as large as New York City. At number nine, a tie between immigration and race relations. The crisis along the southern border continues to be just that, a crisis. A Texas woman faces federal charges after allegedly driving an 18-wheeler packed with illegal immigrants that broke down on a highway in Ganado, Texas. Just one of many stories relating to a situation that's out of control and has been for years. Of course, of course, there are those who claim that efforts to preserve the integrity of our borders is a form of racism. At number eight, crime, violence, and gun control. The big cities of America, as well as some of the mid-sized urban areas, remain dangerous places as crime stats continue to spike and outrage among voters continues to boil. And with the rise in gun-related violence comes the inevitable increase in calls for more laws restricting the ownership of guns. At number seven, Elon Musk and Twitter. The mega-billionaire stoked the national conversation by stating that upon taking ownership of the social media platform, he would reinstate Donald Trump's account. The former president, who's been banned for life by the folks currently running Twitter, says he won't accept a reinstatement if it's offered. Meantime, as the week drew to a close, Musk indicated in a tweet 
that he's putting the deal to buy Twitter on hold, pending reports that a percentage of its spam-slash-fake accounts represent less than 5% of users. Frankly, I'm not quite sure what the heck that means. Regardless, the news sent Twitter shares down more than 20% in pre-market trading. At number six, the January 6th committee tied with Trump activities. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol has issued subpoenas to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and four other Republican lawmakers who have rejected the panel's requests to voluntarily cooperate. In addition to McCarthy, the Democrat-led panel is subpoenaing Republican Representatives Jim Jordan of Ohio, Mo Brooks of Alabama, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, and Andy Biggs of Arizona. Meantime, the former president continues to face investigations into alleged wrongdoing in New York, Georgia, and Washington, D.C. At number five, partisan politics and the elections. And while Donald Trump faces these investigations as well as the pressure of the January 6th committee, he has been busily endorsing candidates all over the country in an effort to maintain his role as kingmaker in the GOP. And to pave the way for a possible third run for the presidency in 2024. Regardless, his grip on the party is strong, but not a certainty. At number four, COVID-19. Seems as if everyone knows someone who has contracted a variant form of COVID-19, and it's now just an accepted hazard of modern day life. The symptoms include sniffles, chills, back pain, fatigue, and other flu-like issues that run their course in a few days. Meantime, people seem equally fatigued and fed up with masks in isolation. And there is lingering, if not growing, doubt about the efficacy, even safety, of vaccines and boosters as Big Pharma scrambles to keep up with the ever-mutating virus. Things are no doubt better, but we're hardly out of the woods as the number of COVID-related deaths in the United States reaches the one million mark. At number three, the economy. Although the rate of inflation has eased a bit, it's still a major problem as the cost of living in America continues to soar. Now keep in mind, when it is said that the rate of inflation is decreasing, it doesn't mean prices are actually coming down. It means that they're continuing to rise only at a slower rate. And now we're dealing with what's being described as a baby formula crisis. Frustrated and frightened parents can't find the product on the shelves. A potential bacteria outbreak led to the February shutdown of a Michigan factory that makes Similac formula, and the plant still has not reopened. Its closure has aggravated shortages created by broader pandemic supply chain problems. Last week, stores stocked about 43% less baby formula than usual, and the situation seems to be worsening. This is not good. At number two, the Russia-Ukraine war and U.S. foreign policy. The war grinds on as the toll on human life continues to rise. Although the war has exposed weaknesses in the Russian military, Putin's forces are brutally gaining more and more control over the eastern parts of Ukraine. Meantime, Finland's leaders said Thursday they're in favor of rapidly applying for NATO membership, which would obviously aggravate Russia and exacerbate its national security paranoia. And at number one this week, abortion rights fallout in debate over last week's bombshell story about the Supreme Court's intention to overturn Roe v. Wade remained intense enough to keep abortion rights in the top position in the national conversation as determined by the research of talkers. The Senate voted Wednesday against advancing a bill that would have codified abortion rights into federal law. 
Senators voted 49 to 51, with one Democrat, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, joining the Senate Republicans to block the measure, far short of the 60 votes that were needed to end a Republican filibuster. Democrats reportedly didn't expect the measure to pass the Senate. However, it's assumed that Majority Leader Chuck Schumer brought it up for a vote simply in an attempt to spotlight the issue in the 2022 midterm election. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap for the second week in a row, Roe v. Wade and abortion rights dominated conversation on news talk media shows across America. I reached out to radio talk show host Derek Hunter for his perspective on the topic. Derek, a member of the Talkers Heavy 100, is a rising star, heard daily on WCBM in Baltimore, as well as a number of stations on the East Coast that also carry his show. What are your thoughts on abortion? Well, I uh, I find it weird that I don't understand. This is going to sound insensitive, and I'm a man, so I get it. You're not allowed to say these sorts of things, and I don't have a uterus. So it is weird how the Democrats immediately found what a woman was when the previous week they couldn't be quite sure it could be just about anything. But I will say this as in a selfish way and in a mocking way, because you've got to kind of lighten the mood because it's a horrible topic. I always say that pregnancy is about as easy to avoid as being hit by a train. You know, if you're playing on the train tracks, there's a decent chance you'll be hit by a train. Don't play on the train track. And your chances of being hit by a train, Michael, drop significantly. So you know how to avoid getting pregnant. And if you have to play on the train tracks, and look, everybody likes playing on the train tracks. not saying anything against that. There are certain measures you could take so that you uh, aren't like those kids on Stand By Me when they're out on the bridge and the train is coming. Oh, yeah. That you can get a, a more forewarning that the train is coming. There are lots of steps you can take to avoid pregnancy. And at some point, personal responsibility, which is passe, it makes me sound like I was, you know, a teenager in the 50s. But uh, personal responsibility has to come into play at some point. And even if... Look, I, I don't know where anybody falls on abortion individually. It's an individual choice. I'm not going to pass judgment on that. You're going to have to justify it to God. I'm not. But if you're even opposed to the idea of 15 weeks, you get 15 weeks to make it. That's four months almost. If you can't make up your mind in four months, just playing devil's advocate and removing the religion from it, I think most people can. I think most people will. So I think we're fighting over such a small percentage of the population that is so dedicated to the Democratic Party who's in desperate need of a motivating factor that that's why this issue is where it is, um, that it is getting the, the tension that it is, why it's getting the, the vocal sounds of the screams outside the, the Supreme Court justices' houses, is because Democrats need something to get their base excited about. Now, I think people are more interested in the fact that it costs them twice as much to fill up their tank as they were driving to Samuel Alito's house to scream outside it than they are about some theoretical thing that probably won't happen to them because they live in a blue state, but it's, it's a motivating factor, and that's why it is the story it is. It's the fear factor. 
You know, you uh, you mentioned something very important, and that is um, it's, uh, pregnancy is something that can be avoided. Well, um, the, the answer to that is it takes education uh, for a young person to know that. Um, do you think that perhaps... Uh, it, though, really? I mean, uh, first of all, I never had the talk with my dad, thank God, or my mom. Thank hmm. My mom tried to bring it up, and it was the worst five minutes of my life, and huh. we just kind of all agreed to disagree. Hmm. But it is something that you don't have to have an advanced degree in biology to figure out. Eventually, maybe you can have some wrong ideas about some certain things, but the gist of it is as easy to avoid as being hit on it by a train, as I said. The intricacies of it, you might be at a junction in the train tracks or you don't know it's gonna go down that one and it comes at the other yeah. one. How did you but um but general, how did how did you how did you learn about um sex <laughs> on that level? Well I grew up in an able, an era of cable television and uh trial and error and friends and mag back remember when magazines existed. I mean it, the way that most people found out, you just kind of figured it out. Mm. I mean, now kids are sadly doing it at like age 12 and going crazy with it, but you're not going to be able to educate somebody at 12 to be responsible because the nature of being 12 is to be irresponsible. Yeah, but, but, but isn't there something that a society can do, either through schools or parenting, to um, make the younger generation aware of the consequences, aware of responsibility, aware of some of the details of how to avoid pregnancy, and um, aware of even um, the, the wisdom of uh, getting involved that way with a member of, uh, you know, with, with, with boys? Um, and, and boys have to be well, aware as well. Yeah. In other words, the education, I'm not talking about, you know, where do babies come from? It's um, where does a good sound life that you don't screw up because you're stupid come from? Well, it's that's a real cultural battle, though, isn't it? Of course. That's like why I, was, it's a tough question. I didn't expect an you easy gotta answer. You've got to address the culture. You can't address it in schools because you, you've got to make the uh, uncoolness of being responsible go away. I'm not saying, you know, live like a priest or whatever, or live like a nun, but you have to be responsible. And it all goes back to instilling responsibility. Maybe you don't idolize people who've been married five times. Maybe you don't idolize people who have four kids by three different fathers. Maybe you, you don't listen to, like, when's the last movie that elevated somebody doing the right thing, whereas, you know, Look, single mothers, great. There's nothing against single mothers. But the greatest anti-poverty program the world ever created was an intact family. But if you say that on MSNBC, you'll be charged with a hate crime and banned. So it's, it's mm. you have to sort of overcome that. It's not just, you know, some random music culture thing or some hip TV show you're up against. You're up against a lot of ways an establishment press that looks at any discussion of, you know, single motherhood is not ideal as, why are you attacking single mothers? I'm not attacking single mothers. I'm just saying if you're given the choice between a, a two-parent home and a single mother, everybody will do better off, uh, by and large, uh, in the two-parent home. And it's just the data shows that it's not even ambiguous, but you can't say that without being, uh, you know, treated like you're, 
the outsider with a horn on your head or something. That's Derek Hunter, the mid-morning host at WCBM in Baltimore and a growing network of stations in the mid-Atlantic region that carry his show. Coming up next, a credible medical perspective on the ever-changing state of COVID-19. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap. One of the great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gun Hill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gun Hill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Coonan, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled, I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom. I know you're real. Take a moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that'll rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address. Write it down. I know you are real.com. That's I know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. I know you are real. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. COVID-19 continues to make waves in the national conversation, not to mention the increasingly beleaguered American psyche. Joining us for an update is one of Talk Radio's leading physicians. She's a member of the Talkers Heavy 100, heard daily on the Genesis Communications Network, Dr. Dahlia Wax. What is the latest clear thinking that's out there about COVID? Well, it seems like COVID is still trying to be unpredictable. We think we gained all this knowledge on it. We think we outsmarted it. And now we are having a slew of people get baby Omicron and grandbaby Omicron after going through the Omicron variant in January and February. And so for we have, I think, an ongoing frustration that people have gotten vaccinated, people have suffered with COVID, and those of us who have survived these multiple waves are still exposed and that we're still getting sick. On top of the frustration, we have these home health, these home test kits that don't seem to be picking it up that well. And we also have news that the oral medications like Paxlovid might not do the full trick within the first five days. And some people are asking for round two of oral medications. So I, I think people have to be patient that we are learning as we go. And whatever we think we knew isn't absolute and um Nobody in the public health sector should act like this is absolute. You know, we've been using the term, the science is evolving. But COVID might be here to stay. Variants might keep coming. But the good news to all of this is we think the variants are going to be less deadly as we're gaining natural immunity, vaccine immunity, and as we're starting to rebuild our immunity and resilience by not locking down. Um, but it is. This, is. this is going to be with us for a while, if not forever. 
there, there's always misinformation and there's the uh, political aspect of it. And um, I read and I hear and I see all kinds of buzz in the background from, from the sidelines and peripheral media that the, not only are the vaccines not as uh, effective as we had hoped or as they were, you know, promoted to be, but that they are dangerous. What's, what's your answer to that? Well, you know, the, the some theories are starting to come out. Not, originally, there was all these, you know, these claims that, oh, Bill Gates is putting nanoparticles and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that in them. And, and, and that was obviously clearly BS. Here we are about two and a half years into the pandemic, and now there's a huge vaccine hesitancy because people are realizing that these studies are showing how natural immunity might be protective, and they're worried that the artificial immunity from vaccines might take that away. Now, the consensus in science is they're both good. The combo is good, but nobody trusts the science anymore. For years, everybody had balked on natural immunity, and now science is like, uh, natural immunity with vaccine immunity makes it the, makes you the strongest. So I think there is such a distrust that nobody even knows what's disinformation anymore because what was accused to be disinformation ended up being truth. What was you know spoken about as truth ended up being misinformation, and I think we have a huge distrust all around the you know all across the board. What's your reaction to this equation that um, the re- reason the um, cases, everybody knows somebody who says, I have COVID, and it's no longer, oh, my God, you have COVID. It's like, sorry about that. You know, how do you feel? And they usually answer, well, I, I was knocked off my feet for a day or two or three. I had sniffles. I had a scratchy throat. I had chills. It felt like a flu, but it's gone. Question is, and, I, and, and maybe it's just your opinion or your feelings, because I don't know if there are answers to this. Is this because the latest strains of COVID are weaker, or is it because, to one effect or another, the vaccines have provided some benefit? Exactly, yeah. The, the biggest question we have, which I spoke about on my show, is is Omicron and Omicron variant and sub-Omicron variant, the BA2 and then the BA2.121, is it that they are innately weaker, or is it that we have been around COVID, that we've gained such an immunity to it, because um, even even non-vaccinated people, you know, seem to be saying they get the sniffles too. Is it that we finally have natural immunity? Is it finally we have vaccine immunity? Did the vaccine for the wild type protect us enough? And I think it's a little bit of both. I think for those of us that ended the lockdown and we've been out there, we've started to get our immunity up again. I think those of us that got in vaccines got very well protected against the wild type and against some of the future variants. And then those of us who got Omicron in January, um, despite being vaccinated or despite being unvaccinated, gained a new type of immunity that can now protect us against the baby Omicron and the grandbaby Omicron. So I think it's a combination of all of it. How about the psychology? Um, it seems to me that Americans, for the most part, you still see people in masks, and um, obviously there is a danger. I mean, no one even wants to get a cold, let alone, you know, the terrible versions of COVID that we lived through a couple of years ago. Um, but the psychology seems to be that, uh, all right, enough already. Who cares? I'll, I'll, I'll take my chances. I'm going about my life. And you see amazing scenes that you've ne- that we haven't seen in years. Restaurants full of people, people going to ball games. Um, uh, Just life seems 
almost whatever that word normal means. What are your thoughts about this whole thing about how people are handling it? And, you know, how about you? I mean, how, how's your life yeah. being affected? Well, no, that's a great question. So, so with the first, with, with the first one, one thing that I think is starting to make people rethink um, um, immunity and lockdowns and vaccines is what's been going on with the children's hepatitis cases. The CDC believes it's an adenovirus 41 that could be causing these mysterious hepatitis cases. And one theory is we have this new variant leaked adenovirus similar to COVID that is now hurting certain kids. But the growing theory is we weakened our kids' immunity. We force them to be in mass. We force them to be locked down such that two and a half years of their life, when they would have normally been bombarded with adenovirus 41, mm. they would have built up an immunity, and now it's starting to deteriorate their liver. And so I think a lot of people are starting to look at some of these other illnesses that people are getting going, wait a second, I think I've, un you know, we, we were all about natural immunity up until 2020. It was all about play outside get some sunshine, don't be playing video games, don't be stuck in your living room, get outside and, and build up an immunity. Right. And so we stopped that, and now people are like, I think I want to build up my immunity again. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, get outside and eat dirt. It's good for you. I remember, right. I remember, <laughs> I remember people saying that. That's okay, let the kids eat the dirt. It, 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 it teaches yeah. <laughs> them, teaches their immune systems how to fight. Everybody I talk to says they're suffering from brain fog. <laughs> Is this, yep. a, is, this a, is this a real thing? Yep. It is? Oh, yeah. And it's frustrating. I'm not, I can't sing like I used to. You know, it changed, COVID changed my voice. I mean, some people think I never was able to sing, but now I sing even worse. And um, my, my memory is different. You know, people will tell me, oh, remember this? And I'm like, I don't. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't have high cholesterol. I don't have diabetes. I don't have the risk factors, no high blood pressure for dementia. And so I'm really concerned that I am losing part of my memory, um, even though I could still do, you know, 10,000 things a day like I do. I'm not as super sharp as I was. And if this all changed after I got exposed to Omicron. Um, I mean, I, some people think it might have been the vaccine. I noticed it a little bit after I got the vaccine, but I really credit the virus itself than the vaccine with this. And so many people, which is another reason why we have vaccine hesitancy, some people think the vaccine caused the brain fog and not the virus. I think it's the virus because there's more circulating virus than vaccine, but it, it is a real thing out there, and it's, it's terrifying because we already have a dementia problem in this country. That's respected radio physician heard daily on the Genesis Communications Network, Dr. Dahlia Wax. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's stay on the topic of health and well-being with one of the most articulate and provocative commentators in American talk media, the founder and host of Good For You Radio. I call her the queen of prevention, Claire Carter. Well, Claire, you have uh, been called, and I think rather aptly, the queen of prevention. Wow, there are so many things going on in the world right now that if only they were, or maybe they were, preventable. What are your thoughts about the stuff happening at this moment in terms of the news, in terms of the challenges we face, from your perspective of somebody who sees things from the prevention standpoint? Oh, I love when you call me that, Michael. I uh, wish I could wave my magic wand, but I am... There's so many things in terms of prevention, so many things that I wish we could have prevented. I thought about that. There was just a story this week about the Taliban has now decreed that the women of Afghanistan need to dress in garb from head to toe with only their eyes showing, and they're told not to leave the house. 
you know, I, my heart went out to the women because years ago I attended what were called the Women in Courage Awards, and women journalists from all over the world were honored for their courage, risking their lives to tell a story. And there was one woman I never forgot, an Afghan journalist. She was threatened with death. Her husband was told to divorce her. And what was her crime? Writing the truth that under the Taliban at that time years ago, if your husband died, you were not allowed to leave the house without a male escort. And so there were women and children who couldn't feed themselves and they starved to death because they couldn't even go to the market and get food. And, you know, so I thought about prevention. Was there anything that could have been done? So many things. Like, could we have gotten out of Afghanistan in a better way? And I remember President Biden's generals had suggested leaving behind 2,500 troops. Former Senator Joe Lieberman, the Democratic and Independent Senator from Connecticut, had written an impassioned op-ed piece. Leave behind the 2,500 troops and it'll be a stalemate. The Taliban won't be able to take over. So one wonders about that. You know, could we have prevented? And there was a television show I saw, The United States of Al. I never even saw that show before. But I read that they were going to be doing an episode, a comedy show, with no laugh track because the main character, Al, was an Afghan translator. And in that episode, it's about his sister trying to escape the Taliban because young girls could be married off, they could be raped, they could be you know, baby machines, and really basically enslaved. And at the end of the episode, his sister needs to escape. And she's right near the airport, and she's right near the gate, and the shooting starts. And her brother being protective, it's like, run for covers, you know. But his friend who's a military guy says, take your scarf and you run for that gate. You run for the military officer. That's your chance. And Al shouts at him, how could you do that? That's my sister. How dare you? And in the end, the sister makes it because he couldn't make the decision for his sister that his friend could. And she makes it. And at the end of the episode... He's crying, and the young teenager who's in the TV show says, why are you crying? Your sister made it. And he said, I'm crying because I'm so sad for my country. And there are just things that you go, could something have been done differently to have prevented what everybody's going through there? Um, Could something have been done differently in terms of prevention when it comes to the pandemic? And what if, you know, what if we could go back And um, I remember reading about a report that was done by the Senate Foreign Intelligence Committee. It was a minority report, and they said the Taiwanese Centers for Disease Control, after Christmas 2019, warned the World Health Organization that this virus was very contagious. What if, you know, what if the World Health Organization had dealt differently? What if there's so many, what could we have done to prevent it at a time when China was allowing no domestic travel, but they were allowing international travel. And I guess I thought about, was this also in addition to everything else, a national intelligence failure in some way that we didn't know what was going on, that we didn't know what was going on within China and the contagious nature of the virus. So there are so many things, and I thought about, could we have prevented more people from having died from the coronavirus 
you know, is there something that could have been done differently? And I don't know if you're familiar, but I know in New York City, um, there's a hospital group, Northwell Hospital Group, and they said they were going to review their policy. Did they put too many people on ventilators too quickly? Should they have tried something else? And the head of health and hospitals in New York City said the exact same thing. Should we have tried maybe CPAP machines that are used for people who have sleep apnea or BiPAP machines that supply supplemental oxygen for people who have respiratory disease? So you wonder, you know, were there diet, nutrition, supplements, were there other things that might have helped people to boost their immune systems, make them less vulnerable? It's such controversial subjects. They're all controversial subjects. So it's such a big question, you know, and I'm big on prevention to stay healthy. You know, I haven't had so much as a cold since the end of January 2019, and I feel very lucky and very blessed. So, Claire, how much of a difference would, would it have made if everybody ate healthy food and, and practiced what you're talking about in terms of the numbers of deaths that we suffered under COVID? With these viruses, you don't want them to attach to what's called your ACE2 receptor sites, these protein sites. So what do you do? So obviously eating a healthy diet is always good. That's Claire Carter, the queen of prevention. You can learn more about Claire and listen to her commentaries at podjockey.com. That's podjockey.com. Coming up next, we're heading to the center of the American political universe. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. Politics, of course, is the primary subject discussed in the news talk media. And in the opinion of many, Georgia is the center of the American political universe. Joining us now is one of the most influential radio talk show hosts in the Peach State, Martha Zoller of the North Georgia powerhouse WDUN Gainesville. Martha, you ran for Congress uh, and did very well about a decade ago. And I remember you saying that, uh, boy, you really got an inside view of how crazy and in some cases dirty politics can be. Would you say now, a decade later, that the state of American politics has improved, stayed the same, or gotten worse? I think it's gotten worse. I mean, if you recall 10 years ago, uh, the big thing was the Tea Party movement, which 
I consider myself a tea partier still. I'm a tax enough already kind of person. I like small government. But just like with every movement, the Tea Party got splintered and got involved in a lot of issues that didn't matter. And we see this with um, not only on the left, where they tend to be focused, you know, in my view, we've got these very serious economic issues, which need to be dealt with right now, but all they want to talk about is climate change. And if your house is burning down, you shouldn't be talking about putting on an addition. So I think they're not focused in that way. And then on the right, we've got our Trump supporters that I think there were a lot of us that liked the policies of President Trump. I think I've shared with you before, my father was a New Yorker, so I kind of understood that kind of, if you hit me, I'll hit you twice as hard kind of mentality. And so it didn't bother me so much in the beginning. But now what you've got is uh, former President Trump inserting himself into a lot of elections, doing well in some, uh, picking a lot of people that maybe don't have opposition in primaries and doing doing well in some primaries with a big test because what's happening is he is inserting himself in a lot of issues that have nothing to do with whatever races it is that he's endorsing. And so he's muddying the waters. But what I'm seeing uh, in Georgia, especially where he got very involved in the governor's race, is he's starting to back away from that candidate. Uh, former Senator David Perdue, who I worked for for five years. And uh, it's it's a mess right now. So, yes, to answer your question, I think it's a lot worse than it was 10 years ago. Do you think that Trump is just trying to pick winners and that his influence is really very difficult to determine, uh, but maybe his ability to pick winners and losers is really being obvious by this? In other words, are, are the victories or the defeats not necessarily related to his endorsement? Well, I think you're going to really see that play out in Georgia because the way I think that's going to happen is very likely Herschel Walker is going to win this Senate primary without a runoff. But Herschel Walker in Georgia didn't need Donald Trump's endorsement. Okay, Herschel Walker is one of those guys that they've talked about running for office for 25 years, just like Vince Dooley, who's who's a coach, former coach of uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, that the Georgia Bulldogs and college football is like a religion in Georgia, and a guy like Herschel Walker was going to do well no matter what. Conversely, in the governor's race, where the people know Brian Kemp very well and have known him for 20 years, uh, being a, quote, career politician is working in his favor because the people know him and know that he keeps his promises. And if what you're voting for in a Republican primary is somebody who furthers Republican values, then Brian Kemp did that. So, uh, you know, Donald Trump is so angry at Brian Kemp that he, he fielded a candidate against him. And that candidate's probably going to lose. Switching over to the economy, which of course connects to politics, what's the take on the present economic session from a political and just an everyday person perspective in Georgia? Well, you know, my husband asked me yesterday morning, is it time for us to start tightening our belts? Tightening our belts. Mm. And um, I said, no, we're in pretty good shape right now because we're both still working, which is good. <laughs> but I, you're seeing it everywhere. You're seeing uh, higher prices of uh, gas and food and anything related to fuel is is higher priced. And then you also have this weird shortage of baby formula, which I'm starting to hear a lot about from people. Now, I have a brand-new granddaughter who's three months old, and and thankfully her mother is breastfeeding, and 
and she's got plenty. She's actually got plenty in the freezer, and she's going to be fine. But there are real things going on, Michael, where there are women all over the country that are panicking about the fact they can't find baby formula. And that's a problem that I don't understand. Well, you, you answered the question by saying, I don't understand, because that is the answer to a lot of the questions I ask about the economy. Would you agree that this is having an impact on the American psyche? You know, you go back, you had a conversation with your husband. A lot of that, a lot of those conversations are taking place all around the country. Should we tighten our belts? Should we sell our house? Should we change our lifestyle? Should we be worried? Um, what are your thoughts about that? You know, it reminds me so much of the 70s. And my girlfriends say, oh, the 70s was great. And I said, well, yeah, because we were teenagers in the 70s and coming into, you know, going to college and that fun time in your life. So you don't quite remember that it was tough, but you had a very controversial president and Richard Nixon. This time it was Donald Trump. And then a kind of anecdote to that president came next, Jimmy Mm -hmm. Carter and Joe Biden. And then we don't know what the next step is going to be, but there was this, what was the term that was used in the 70s? There's this malaise. You're right. There is this feeling that there's a lot of problems out there. Now, we're lucky in Georgia because Georgia is a place where companies are moving here and we're creating lots of jobs and and it's pretty good all in all. But uh, the inflation problem did start um, with flooding the zone, if you will, with cash under COVID-19. Uh, and I'm not, and that's both presidents. I mean, it was several trillion dollars under former President Trump and a couple of trillion dollars under um, uh, Joe Biden. And when you put that much money in the economy, uh, you're going to start seeing infl- inflation. It, I know it's not that simple because you have the supply chain issues and all of that kind of stuff too. But I do find that uh, people are going to look for changes in November, and it's not always fair. I mean, it, are all of the problems President Joe Biden's? No, they're not. But he's the president now. He's going to get blamed, so his party's going to get blamed. That's Talker's Heavy 100 member Martha Zoller of WDUN Gainesville, Georgia. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Okay, we have time for one more. The bloody Russia invasion of Ukraine continues to grind on with catastrophic impact on the innocent men, women, and children of the war-torn former Soviet satellite seeking to preserve its fragile 30-year-old democracy. There are a lot of views being expressed in the national conversation on this topic. The issue is not just black or white. Since so many political talkers in America claim to be libertarian, we turn to one of the leading authorities on the ideology to explain the libertarian take on this war. Here's noted academician and author Dr. Murray Sabrin. Dr. Sabrin, you are considered to be one of, if not the leading spokespeople about libertarianism on talk radio in America. And as you and I both know, many hosts who are basically conservative put in the caveat that they're not pure conservatives or or card-carrying conservatives, but they're more libertarian. So there's a murky area between the two. What is the pure libertarian point of view on America's connection to the Russia-Ukraine war? 
Well, it's very simple. Uh, America's foreign policy was laid down by George Washington in, in his farewell address, namely we should not be in t- involved in entangling alliances with other nations because that eventually could lead to war, and that's exactly what's happened in the Ukraine. Even though we don't have a formal declaration of war with Russia, we are effectively in a proxy war because uh, we're providing so much money and ammunition to uh, to the Ukrainians. Is there any room for bending the, comp- the Constitution or the words of the founders? Founding fathers, considering you know it's 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 more than two hundred years ago, almost three hundred years ago, that this was formulated. That the world is different enough, and things change, and situations are specific to themselves. That um, we sometimes have to go beyond the letter of the words that the founding fathers put down. No, I don't think so, Michael. These are universal principles, just as the Ten Commandments are universal principles. American foreign policy should be based upon protecting America's borders and making sure that we are not attacked by a foreign adversary. Russia has not attacked us. They've invaded Ukraine for what they see as their national security interest. We should not get involved in other nations' uh, situations. We should use our State Department to be an honest broker to get the two parties together to, to have a just and long-lasting peace. Do you think, therefore, that the principles of NATO and alliances, strategic alliances and um, uh, various forms of alliance or allyship is is not in keeping with the original position of George Washington? Absolutely, because if you look at World War One and World War II, these, these were two adversarial alliances that clashed heads and we got – tens and tens of millions of people dead. And to me, that is the great tragedy of the last hundred years. By having alliances, nations are forced to go to war because they feel it's their obligation because of a treaty. And what you get is uh, the Holocaust or World War II that my parents barely survived. And in World War One, you get uh, supposedly the war to end all wars, but that laid the foundation for World War Two. But what what would have happened had um, uh, Great Britain not stood up to Hitler and uh, the U.S. not come in? Is it possible that Europe would have been controlled by Nazism and thus the threat to uh, the U.K. and the U.S. would be greater? Well, I don't think so. I think what happened was that uh, the U.K. went to, declared war on Germany after Germany invaded Poland. That was a regional conflict that led to eventually the uh, the whole conflict on the European continent. What should have happened, in my opinion, is that, that they should have said, here's the line in the sand, do not go further. And unfortunately, Hitler had this grand scheme to control Europe. But that was the European problem, not our problem, because the United States, the American people did not want to get involved in World War II after they saw what happened after World War One. Do you think it's in America's interests to be considered uh, this term that we throw around loosely a superpower? And um, with being a superpower comes super responsibility. That's basically the the general thinking that if America is going to be the superpower, it has to stand up for freedom and democracy around the world, or it won't have um, the kind of power that we need to function with our present lifestyle and culture. I think it's very clear that the United States should not be the policeman of the world. Russia is not the policeman of the world. China is not the policeman of the world. The United States foreign policy, by the way, which has been supported by both parties, have been a pro-interventionist policy. 
and we've been in perpetual war or preparing for war since 1940, and it's been a total disaster for the, for the American people and the American economy because we're spending money we don't have. We have to borrow money or print money to pay for the military-industrial complex. And if we had followed George Washington's advice or former congressman and presidential candidate Ron Paul's advice, we would be at peace with other nations around the world, and we'd be an honest broker to try to settle these regional uh, conflicts. You mentioned a couple of names. Uh, you left Dwight Eisenhower out of that um, when you talk about the, mili- the military-industrial complex. What do you think of old Ike's final um, farewell address as president? That was probably one of the most important farewell addresses in American history because he understood as Supreme Allied Commander during World War II and as a president for two terms the, the power of the military-industrial complex. And since he left office, we've been involved in Southeast Asia, we've been involved in the Middle East, and what has it given the American people? Nothing more than more debt, more deaths around the world, and American foreign policy has not been benign. In fact, it has been very deadly to people around the world, costing the American people hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. That's noted academician, author, and prolific talk media go-to guy, Dr. Murray Sabrin, explaining the libertarian perspective on the Russia-Ukraine war. Let's listen to a moment from the historic military-industrial complex speech by President Dwight David Eisenhower. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Amazingly honest and prescient, especially for a five-star general war hero and retiring president. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation looking back at the week of Monday, May 9th through Friday, May 13th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelattalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.